from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. show notes to find a good deal at Donner. Like the sound of this? This is the Donner Island Delay and the really cool Donner LP that I've shown off on like Instagram. Check it out. I've got some really good summer deals and check out their snap deals as well. Use the link in the show notes to help support the show. Get yourself some cool musical instruments, maybe some patch chords. Cool. Hello? Hello? Is this on? Hello? 
Hello, does this work? Hi, this is uh, Farmer Dave, and uh, I have no virtual companion today. Uh, unfortunately, my co-host and the heart and soul of People's Guide to Cthulhu Mythos, uh, D.B. Spitzer is under the weather today, and I'm trying to figure out how to do a show by myself. Okay, did I record that? Is that working? The DB does all the tech stuff. I mean, I, I just sit here and look good. Okay, hello? Yeah, I, 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 I think this is working. Okay, okay, so, um, hey, we're going to go back old school, way back into the Dave's underground goat shenanigan days, which DB, when he gets better, will acknowledge means me missing a lot of deadlines. Uh, but seriously, as we try to just muddle through here, uh, our best to, uh, to, to Dan, and uh, hopefully he gets well soon, and uh, I can go back to what he really enjoys, talking to you about the Cthulhu Mythos. But until then, you got me, uh, like I said, doing the best I can. So uh, usually he gives me some sort of prompt here, I don't even have goats with me to be my wingman today, but uh, it's because of the heat. They're all out kicking back in the shade and the, the loafing sheds and the barn. But uh, yeah, so so it's hot here in Oleander. Um, we're just, you know, people are just roll up, hibernate, go Lake Clackamas and hopefully not disappear mysteriously in the lake. But uh, that's another story. And, uh, you know, we're, we're waiting for uh, the festival, you know, which festival, because Oleander, Oregon is in the Guinness Book of World Records, well, no, they actually now, for legal reasons, they have to print this part in the Guinness Book of World Records with Invisible Ink. It was a lawsuit, it was a thing. Yeah, but we're the town that has, per capita, more festivals than any other city in the world but uh you know we're all getting ready for the big festival uh probably the greatest one in summer y'all second only to christmas and this is when the whole nation comes together and barbecues and shoots off fireworks and thinks about bat squatch na 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 bat squatch so right now you're in your heart saying I hope Dave is talking about what I think he's talking about, because I had not heard of Bat Squatch, but if it is real, that would be so awesome. Fear not, listener, when I talk about Bat Squatch, I am talking about just the thing you are thinking about, giant Bigfoots that fly with bat wings. Bat Squatch! Holy bipedal Mothman! It's Bat Squatch! Yes, and soon we will be having the July celebration for Bat Squatch. Okay, I won't do the song until later. So, yeah, and Bat Squatch is a real thing. Well, it's a real mystery, a cryptid thing. We'll let you. The listeners decide if Bat Squatch is real. It is. But yeah, we'll be having the Bat Squatch Festival soon. 
and we'll keep you all apprised of both Bat Squatch and his festival. So, yeah, that's the big thing in town, and like I said, we'll be talking about that. Uh, and hopefully DB will be healthy and well uh, by the time that uh, the festival comes in, so he can be in full strength and participate in the Say it along with me. Na 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 Bat Squatch Festival. But until the point that he's feeling better, uh, you got me. And uh, so I'm just, uh, we're going to just do the best we can have a show. Um, so uh, we got an interview and we have not just an interview, but we have true friend of the show. Just really talented writer and podcaster. And that is Tom Clark, Tommy Clark. And he's going to be talking about uh, some new books, a uh, full length and maybe a little smaller, that he's going to be putting out. And, you know, those who listen to the show, those who read Tommy and know Tommy, what he is really good at is combining genres. So, you know, he's got galactic horror and cyberpunk or, you know, westerns and splatterpunk. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit to Tommy about what he's doing right now. And then at the end, uh, I thought maybe we'd talk a little bit about a, a topic that I really enjoy because there's no one in the building to tell me not to. And so in that case, I think we're going to talk a little bit about Lovecraft in space. But uh, until then, you know, uh, let's uh, maybe, you know, I'm known for bringing other topics besides uh, the Cthulhu Mythos and or people into the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We also occasionally talk about guides. But um, so let's talk a little bit about what an awesome weekend this is for television. So uh, I haven't got a chance to see it yet, but episode one of season four of Westworld's out today. And Umbrella Academy 3, I've seen the first two episodes, amazing, I, you know, I just, I love that dysfunctional family, and thank you Gerard Way for bringing it to us, hey, we still got my girl, Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel out there, and I know a lot of people aren't watching this show because they really think it's YA, it strikes on every cylinder. And, and I absolutely get it if, you know, you're superheroed out or whatever reason. Give this, give the show, give the show a chance. Give it, give it a chance. The other thing, uh, well, we've got is uh, Obi-Wan Season 1. Uh, and I've, all, I've still got two more episodes, but uh, loving it. I mean, it started out a little slow, but uh, by Episode 2 and 3, uh, I was hooked. And if you listen to the show, you know, when I talk about things that are neither guide, people, or Cthulhu mythos related, um, then you know that I love the TV show Money Heist. Uh, it's basically two separate, 
20-hour heist movies. The writing's amazing. The acting is amazing. Uh, the Spanish writers just go so deep into these characters and emotionally into these characters. I love it. So we now have the first episodes of Money Heist Korea Joint Economic Area. And so, yeah, um, yeah, um, okay, um, so I want to talk a little bit about it, I've seen the first two episodes, there's four more out, um, yeah, it's, it, 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 it's a Xerox, it's a copy, and so, it, it would be really hard for me to think it would be as amazing as the original series, uh, and I don't want to seem like I'm just nitpicking it, even though maybe I am. Uh, so let's start off with what Money Heist Korea uh, Joint Economic Area does right. And so the first thing is it's got this just incredibly unique near future cyberpunk without cyberpunk premise. And and this part I think is truly science fiction, but things go so well with you know Trump going to North Korea that the two Koreas come very close to unifying. And what they do is they take the DMZ, which you guys know is this basically neutral zone that divides the two countries. That's got more landmines in the Korean DMZ than anywhere else in the world and turn it into this sort of super big high-tech, if not cyberpunk, but it's definitely got that dark side of cyberpunk city. Uh, and they've got it designed as a, a wheel growing out uh, visually as well as creatively. Brilliant concept. And this whole idea that for the first time and since the 50s, the, you know, people from both Koreas are together mingling and they have these expectations and stereotypes of the others that may or may not be right but sort of almost a third Korea that's like the child of the two parents that's trying to get its own identity so yes the Koreanness of the show, and let's face it, with you know the two biggest things outside of created by Americans in Netflix is Squid Games and Money Heist. So yeah, somebody was going to combine the two. So this concept of you know the North Koreans being dominated all their life, and then living in the shadow and then you know how great South Korea is and getting there and being disappointed as immigrants that aren't treated equal and South Koreans who are seem as spoiled and undisciplined but you know they're they're not they're, they're compared to the rest of the world hard workers so yes it actually gets the Koreanness I mean, but it captures very interesting is the Korean factor. Now, Money Heist 
the original. The Spanish is in its DNA. It's very much a Spanish show. But it's a little bit more subtle in the fact that it was always originally designed for a Spanish audience. Uh, in fact, it nearly died the first season because it just did not catch on. And I think it was Channel 11 in Spain. It wasn't until Netflix got it, sort of resurrected it, and it became this worldwide phenomena. So things like passion, art, and music, and everything that culturally makes the Spanish people Spanish is there, but it's more subtle because it was designed for a Spanish audience. And then later episodes, you know, they or seasons, they had to catch up and sort of be a little bit more direct on things such as, you know, it's Spanish ID. Uh, and we see that later in shows like uh, Sky Rojo or The Longest Night, which were more designed not only for Spaniards, but for an international audience where K-dramas and uh, especially Squid Games, you know, are so hot right now. And that's one of the things, the selling points of this new series is its Koreanness. And I'm going to say it's got great action scenes that you would expect from a, a Korean movie. And it has got a great sense of Korean visualization the colors, the cars coming out of the fog, the city that's taking over the landscape. Spot on. Spot on, and definitely my untrained eye would say very sort of uh, Korean aesthetic or movie aesthetic. Now, let's get on to the characters. And, and this is where I sort of have some problems with the show. Um, you know, out of 20 goats that we had last season, I named three of them after characters in Money Heist. Uh, Professor, uh, Nairobi, and Tokyo. And so, first of all, the actors are all top-notch actors. They, they got some talent, and it's very obvious. And it's not anything, it's just that I've got existing opinions and who these people are and what their underlying motives are um and so again it's changed age changed the story but also more of a korean um aesthetic uh, so let's take the professor um yeah, the guy, I mean, the guy who plays him in the Korean version is sharp. He's got three master's degrees. I get this intellectualism. And here's another thing that, why am I being unfair? There are six episodes of the Korean Money Heist. There's 40 plus or so of the Spanish one. So, and I've only seen two of the Korean ones. I've seen the entire series all the way through for uh, the Spanish version. So, yeah, that you got a lot more episodes to develop character and character growth and character change. But Sergio, who I'm going to call the, uh, the, the, the Spanish uh, professor, he's a lot different than the Korean uh, counterpart. Yes, he's a liar. He's a thief. But he's also more charming and authentic. I mean, he gets to the point where he almost breaks his own no-killing rule 
to save his team, but he can't at the last moment. Where where the Korean version, and I, and again, I think he's going to slowly but surely reveal his true personality. The Korean version isn't this warm sort of lovable loser nerd who made himself perfect practically at everything at his own expense and his own without any government support that he, he's just he, Sergio's a lot more charismatic he's this adorable nerd in his heart and you get why Lisbon went from hating him to loving him uh, and he, the relationship even though he is obviously using Lisbon in the first season it is much more organic it's real where so far the Korean version is much more of a manipulator uh, yeah he seems he's got this sort of engineering mind where Sergio had, and you've you got to just understand the character to get what I'm saying here. Yes, he had this mind of an engineer, but he also had this mind of this philosopher and historian. He gets other aspects, even like aspects of how human reaction, even though he's not very good at human reaction necessarily, he grows, gets better one-on-one -on -one level. So Tokyo is a little bit different in that Tokyo is not this willful, spiteful, wild child bank robber, but she is a North Korean soldier. So she's the weapons expert, the fighting expert, the tactician, and she's also the discipline. She is disciplined, but she's also the disciplinarian. So she, even though she's got this sort of wild child style that's, but it's buried in and it's covered over this military training so what we miss is Ursula Cobera's uh, version of Tokyo grows she greatly grows to the point that she becomes the she becomes to have the most amount of faith in the professor and Sergio and his plan. He becomes her savior and guardian angel. At the end, she's willing to sacrifice her own life to be his guardian angel. So in the Korean version, because she's a military leader and trained, she starts off this way. So in the Korean version, the professor is given this dedication and respect that in the Spanish version he had to earn. And again, later on we may see the backflashes of what, where, why or how they got to this level. Um, also, at least at the beginning, the relationship with Rio is if it's there it's very subtle and very controlled where in the original Tokyo was willing to risk everything to have the emotional support from Rio but she didn't want the commitment it was a lot more complex relationship that may develop that way don't even get me on you know Rio and Denver 
they're basically bros in here. And there was always a little bit of bro and in, in their character, but yeah. Um, okay. Now we go to what is probably one of my favorite characters in all you know recent television, and that's Nairobi. So Nairobi is very unique. She she was funny. She was a comedian, but she was also the heart. She was the soul of the group. In fact. And again, spoilers, she has to pretty much die in the fourth season because the fifth season is all about conflict. And if Nairobi was still alive, she would have figured some way to listen, listen to the conflict to make, you know, she was, she's in a way, she, yes, she's a thief. Uh, she can be very uh, self-centered, but she's also kind of the peacekeeper. Even if peacekeeping means hitting the head of Denver or Berlin in the head and declaring a matriarchy. So we need sort of this wild spirit. So we make, so they make, uh, Nairobi sort of takes over a lot of Tokyo's role in the original. And uh, you may see the uh, posters. She's the one wearing the, you know, the lavender wig and uh, much more comfortable around firearms, you know. Uh, yes, Nairobi in the Spanish uh, version does get in combat, but she's not. She's never comfortable there. Uh, she's also, a, in addition to being a forger, instead of being a petty drug dealer just to try to make money for her kids, uh, she's a con artist. Uh, she is the sexy she's the funny girl you get the the sort of obsession she has this obsession with money not spending money but money just you know she's a fangirl of the person who created what the dollar looks like she gets upset that you know they're forging this money and it's not just perfect and and yes yeah, so we see that in the nairobi in the uh, spanish version but it's, it's more this dedication to work. And she's basically a criminal with this amazing work ethic and surprisingly, surprisingly good at getting people to work, even if they're hostages. Um, and so we see a little bit of this, but it's more, more kind of mellowed out with a party girl atmosphere. Um, to be honest, the Korean version of Nairobi is a good character. I like her. Um, you know, she's cute. She's sexy. Uh, she's maybe a little bit more of a bad girl. Uh, you never know. She's an unreliable narrator, but also she's not the character I named to go after. The last one I'm going to go really talk to in depth is Berlin. And so if you've seen all 40 hours of the original Money Heist, you know that at the end of season one, there's a revelation about the relationship between Professor and Berlin. I don't think they're going to do this, and I'm kind of, we'll see. I, I, I can't imagine I'm not working this in, and if you know the series, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but instead of being this basically uh, criminal playboy, he is 
basically a child prisoner in North Korea. And he tries to escape with his mother, and his mother is killed, and he is beaten. He spends 25 years in a North Korean prison camp. Uh, and so he is taking on the persona ways, the mentality and the tactics of his guards. It's an interesting character. I think it would be better as a villain than an anti-hero. And, and let's face it, the original Berlin is a terrible person. That's why he's such a great character. That's why, spoilers again, he's killed off at the end of the first heist. But he keeps coming back and flashbacks and spirit ghosts in the background. Why he is getting his own prequel series. So it's an interesting character, but yeah, it's just not as good as the original. The one character they really kind of I like, uh, maybe a little more. And I, uh, the guy is basically the Arturo character, and they don't call him Arturo in the Korean version. He's the uh, he's a bank uh, or a mint official who basically um, is this worm. He's just a slimy, slimy, mealy worm, and somehow the guy in the Korean version is even more slimy, even more wormy, and. He pulls off that character very well, and I'm kind of interested, and again, those who know what happens to Arturo and how he kind of takes this moment and get, you know, capitalizes on his 15 minutes fame, uh, I'm kind of interested in seeing what they're going to do with the Korean version of our Arturo. All in all, it's a beautiful show, it's a great action scene. It's got characters that would be really impressive if I had not seen better versions already. Um, yeah, it's not bad, but it's not the show that within a month I watched 40 episodes of just because I was so obsessed. I mean, worth checking out. And if you haven't seen the original one, you might. And some of the surprises, I keep a lot of the, the twists the same. Uh, you may really enjoy this version if you're a fan of K-dramas in the first place. Okay, then uh, you've been listening to me just go on about something you probably don't care about for almost 30 minutes. Uh, let's bring someone in a lot more talented than me, and I'm talking about the one, the only, Tommy Clark. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Clary. Clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Clary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20-watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Hey, everyone, it's me, D.B. Spitzer. I currently do not feel very 
good at all. But one thing I have to tell you that I still love, even though I can't taste anything. Chocolates from Somerset. Uh, check out Taza Chocolates uh, in the description. And also, uh, you need caffeine, even though you can't taste anything. Man, I'll tell you what, cheaper than uh, going to your corner coffee store and twice the flavor we have copper cow coffee vietnamese pour over that i've been using as a uh what do you call it cold brew coffee i throw two pegs into a liter fill it up and oh baby do you know what that's worth you'll you'll you'll, you'll make heaven a place on 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 earth with copper cow coffee um, I'm not feeling well. I've just been sleeping for the last few days. I got COVID and I have been isolated to my studio. So, um, yeah, I hope, I hope you're all doing well and, uh, check out this super cool interview that Dave did with, uh, Tommy. Ooh, I must be sick if I if, if if Tommy's back on that show, that no good Nick, that 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 no good Nick Tommy. All right, here we go with that interview. Thanks for listening, everyone. not talking to myself we actually have a real human being or i believe is a human being maybe some sort of altered spirit but no a friend of the show uh frequent guest and uh great author uh tommy clark welcome tommy hey what's going on man how's the goats the goats are there the goats have been all moved to the barn so i have no more goats in my living room how did how did they vote in the last election the goats? Yeah. For more milk. Okay. <laughs> That's great. That's it. That's, yeah, they really is. got my goat on that one. Yeah. You know, if they can vote the farmer or choose their farmer, they might. Other than that, they're 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 a, they're a monarchy. They have a herd queen and a herd king. They're 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 a monarchy. Like I said, if they could vote for their farmer, it would be the one that gives them the most milk, but uh, or most grain. So I am very excited, and I am sure you are. Well, first of all, um, I'm sure many people listening to this have, have you know, heard you here and many other places. But uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Um, I'm uh, Thomas R. Clark, author. I uh, write uh, splatterpunk books that um, bend into the folk and cosmic horror elements. And... Uh, have a podcast that I uh, host called the Necrocasticon with my buddies Scott, Walt, Skip, and Dan. And uh, we talk to people in the heavy metal and uh, horror industry. Excellent. On that show. And, and you are well known for, uh, I guess, kind of maybe a trope is, is blending genres. Yeah. Yeah. I take things and I blend them together. Um, when you see a, something that's successful, 
um, especially in a motion picture, for example, it, it isn't just one genre that you see on screen. It's something that blends genres typically. Yeah. Um, and when you do that, you you're able to get more of an audience, I think. Yeah. And, and you know, this could be a, a discussion that you and I could probably have all day, but classic, I think is alien. Yeah. You know, when yeah. alien first came out, nobody thought it was science fiction. It was horror in space. Yeah, but that's that's also cosmic horror as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've I've done a column, been doing a column in the House of Stitch magazine on the origins of cosmic horror as we know it today, uh, starting with the H.P. Lovecraft uh, sandbox team there of, of of Lovecraft, Robert Bach, um, Robert E. Howard, Clark Ashton Smith, and August Derleth. Um, and I'm going to continue that going forward with looking at some movies that you don't think are cosmic horror, but they are like Alien and Predator, for example, right. another good one. Um, and that's the thing about Predator, too, that makes that stand out as well, is that when you on the surface and you look at it, oh, it's just an action movie that happens to have an alien in it. Um, but it has all the beats and tropes for cosmic horror present. Absolutely. Within its narrative, so um, cosmic horror and folk horror, as as you know, they're very similar. In that there's this fear of the unknown. Um, it's so easy for me to blend them together as well. Um, and my new book kind of does that a little That's, bit. So yeah, let's let's hear a little bit about this. Uh, when is what is it called, and when is it coming out? It's called Summer Home. It's my first full-length novel, um, and by full-length novel, I mean, I mean when, when when books go out for awards and what you write go out for the awards and peer recognition um, during that season of the year, um, anything over 50,000 words is considered a novel. Yeah. Um, and everything that I've written up to this point is around 40,000 words. Uh, this clock's in at just over 60,000. Oh, excellent! And you know, four hundred page who, paperback. The, and just to, to play with the title a little bit, for those of you I don't know where you're listening it, but we coincidentally are recording this on the first day of summer. Yes, we are. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just thought about it when you said it. I go, you know what? Maybe, maybe that's a good omen. Well, yeah. So, well, considering that there is a heavy pagan, you know, cloud that hangs over the book. We'll call it that. <laughs> you know, I'm marketing it as a haunted assisted living home story. Okay. But it's much more than that. Um, it, it, it breaches, it doesn't go extreme horror, but it does go splatterpunk. Okay. Um, in, in some aspects, you know, I'd I like to turn up the, the gore. A few of the, the pre readers and, and reviewers have told me that they are, there's a couple of times in the book where they almost lost their lunch. Mm-hmm. And that's a talent. That's, I, I don't have that talent. I'm just too mild, you know. But uh, but you know, when when someone reads one of your books, they kind of they know what they're getting into. Hopefully, yeah, right. And and, and, this and, is... and it's a talent. It's and it's. I want to say tasteful, but that's not the word. Artistic. I don't know. Um, accurate. I don't know what word, what word, what word would you describe? Or, or it's, it's appropriate. Okay. I use I use the gore and I use. I break into that other, you know, into all the senses when it's appropriate. Okay. Um, 
I don't. I want to have it, you know, contribute to the story in some manner, because uh, I, I, I think that the reader should feel the same horror that the characters feel. Yes. Um, when something like this happens, and the best way to do that quite often is to crank up the gore, crank up the the fear factor. Um, if you remember that old TV show, Bugs and you know crawly things. Yep. You know, <laughs> and, and gooey stuff. You know, who knows what it is? Um, but at least I have an opportunity to show you what it is and, and make you really freak the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's, for lack of a better word, that's why we get on the roller coaster. Yeah, we get on the roller coaster story. But for and, as much as I show people, I don't. There's just there's a lot that I leave it to my readers for them to think and, and for them to. You know, question and and, and you know and and have a, and have things that linger. That you know, what happened there? What you know? What you know? Did this really happen, or did this happen there? You know. Excellent, excellent. And I'll say, I've I've seen the artwork uh, for the cover, and, and it's just beautiful artwork. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the cover? That cover is by Lynn Hansen. She did my cover for my last book, too, The God Provides, my last full-length uh, release through St. Rooster Books. I, that came out last July. Um, she's going to be my main cover artist going forward, I think, uh, only because her aesthetic matches the aesthetic that I like to have with my books. Okay. And this cover that she did is just... It, it screams folk horror. And yeah, it does. It, it, it does. does. <laughs> and that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted for this cover. Um, it, coincidentally, you know, there's a scene in the book, a couple of scenes in the book that reflect this cover. Um, so, you know, an evil-eyed fan will catch on to those. Excellent. And when will the book be out, and, and how can yeah. our audience get it? Well, as we're recording this, it's about a week, a week from the day that we're recording this, so next Tuesday, the 28th. The 28th, so so last couple of days of June, first couple of days, or, or beginning of, of July. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my, that's my summer. As, Saint, as, as Tim, uh, the publisher at St. Rooster Books, is calling it our summer blockbuster. Ooh. And judging from the, the reviews of the, you know, what, you know, reviewers have told me so far, I think it might be one. Well, excellent, excellent. And how can uh, how can an audience member or someone listening? How can they get your book? Well, uh, I prefer that you get the digital version from Godless, okay. um, the Godless app, Godless Horrors app, or or you can also you know you can get it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble as well, um, and also you can get the paperback to uh, Amazon as well, and okay. Barnes and Noble. Yeah. So. This is kind of your show, but I'm, I'm going to take just a couple of minutes to talk about my really weird family. Um, so my, I don't, I usually talk about my, you know, my fake family on the show, or, you know, the fake city, but in real life, my brother-in-law does not like holidays, and the reason why is he had to do so many of these Norman Rockwell holidays growing up, so we have to kind of disguise them. So we're going to have Sunday. We're going to have Midsummer, and so what we're going to do is we're making Twinkie Hinge. We're making Stonehenge out of chocolate-covered Twinkies. 
And we were gonna, we were gonna, we were gonna, you know, try it out first. You gotta be careful, first. Dave, of what, what you might summon if you do these things. I know. So we were gonna try it out, but somehow the Twinkies and the chocolate all disappeared before we could. I don't know what happened. But I know. I you just smoking some of that laffy tobacco? No, I no, I but I have a niece and nephew live here too. So oh, okay, there you go. So yeah, I bet I you the know. goats can tell you. Oh yeah, but so so yeah. Well, we're going to be celebrating our midsummer. Um, also, I I, I want to because you're also got a, a project in one of my other favorite genres. But uh, anything else you want to share about uh, the new book before we kind of uh, shift gears here? I just I'm really excited about it coming out. I can't wait for people to read it. Uh, and, um, if you want to buy it from me personally, you can see me at Scares That Care, um, in Williamsburg, Virginia, excellent. Uh, the last weekend in July. Okay, excellent. In fact, uh, you know, send us over some links and we'll make sure that DB posts them for you. All right. Now you got, and... You're you're a much harder writer than I am, a much more <laughs> prolific writer than I am. Uh, that's well, why I like podcasting because I don't have to type. I, uh, I I I I I write a lot because I take workshops every month and I pay for these workshops and I don't want to waste the money. Absolutely. Um. So it's smart of me to apply myself. To keep working and keep working. So as a result of that, I've. It's, I've gotten to the point where I may I've already completed two a novel and a novella this year and I'm probably going to complete another novella and another novel by the end of the year you, you, you are much more prolific than I am and more power to you but I, you're also writing in one of my favorite genres besides uh-huh. cosmic horror and that's cyberpunk yeah uh, um, a prayer from the dead is uh, my cyberpunk novella. It's my love letter to epic illustrated and heavy metal and manga and anime. And it is, it takes place in a alternate timeline on our planet where the Abrahamic religions never took cold. Okay. And as a result, technology and knowledge wasn't with, wasn't uh, restricted. So, so are, are the people in this timeline are, are they atheist or is it like Hinduism oh, no, Christianity, or Shintoism? Christianity still exists. Okay, um, but there's polytheists over uh, in Europe and uh, in the United States. It's called the Puritan states of New England. Mm. And so, what it was traditionally you recognize as our thirteen originally colonies. That's where this takes place in New York City. Um, okay. And Puritans fleeing Catholic um, tyranny came to the United States and settled here. And then the, the, the whole country ended up becoming a haven for Christians across the world, okay. even though the government doesn't really care for the subsects that all right. they think they're all heretics, um, which leads to me creating a world where you have the troubles in, in, in Ireland. Ireland, yeah. Happening in uh, uh, a cyberpunk Manhattan oh, okay. setting. Um, okay. But it takes place in 1972 with, with cyberpunk technology. Okay. 
yeah, yeah. So um, you know, I keep the time and era, the time and, and era the same. Um, generally speaking, as the troubles. However, the world's different. Sure, sure. Um, and it's about it focuses on two twins, a pair of twins, in the uh, not a pair of twins, but you know, a, a brother and sister twins. Uh, in the Irish Catholic Army in oh. Manhattan, and uh, yeah, I never thought of it, but I guess a pair of twins would be four people, right? Yeah, a pair I of twins, four people. Way. Yes, 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 yes. But uh, Abigail and Gabriel Brennan, and it tells you their story about and how one of them becomes deaf. Mm. So it's very interesting that you picked 1972. Because I, you know, part of my my sort of research into cyberpunk, there were these amazing during the early '70s, sort of proto cyberpunk movies like The Forbin Project, Silent Running, uh, I guess it's a little bit later, but Death Race 2000. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, even, uh, you know, uh, the Six Million Dollar Man. This sort of so much of what uh, Gibson and later people would, you know, sort of cyborg into cyberpunk cyborg yeah cyborg four, which was a a spaceship that uh, Steve Austin flew in one of the books. Yeah. yeah, there's so much. That's just a time. Oh, Westworld. Yeah, the original Westworld. Uh, you know, Crichton, the first use of uh, the first mention of computer viruses in fiction. This is where I said it during this era, dude. All comes out from that time. Yeah, no, I mean, you had me on, you had me in cyberpunk. Kind of got me on. It blends cyberpunk and dark fantasy together. Okay. Because there's a dark fantasy cosmic horror element to it. Oh, well, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, And there's some illustrations or? There's going to be illustrations in the book. I like to have my novellas illustrated. Okay. um, Just because it looks cool. And uh, the publisher, uh, St. Rooster Books, Tim Murr's son, uh, uh, Towns Murr, is going to be doing the pencils, and his mother, Stephanie Murr, is going to be doing the inks. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Towns an up-and-coming designer and artist, now of his own right, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Because, you know, he, he likes he likes that that Japanese anime mech. Sure. Type sure. style, and uh, I think it's something that him and I can, uh, yeah, 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 and yeah. This is you know this is this is more um, Battle Angel Alita to me. Okay, okay. I had that in my mind and was playing on you know I had it running on in the background when I was writing this thing quite often. Okay. Do we have a release date? Well, I was hoping to have it done for Scares to Care, and and have a double whammy there, but okay. it's. Because of Towns' school schedule, mm, um, yeah. he's not, he wasn't able to address it until school was done. Sure. And, and, and so many students are doing catch-up because of yeah. COVID and online classes. So, yeah. No, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be pushed back to be my fall release. Okay. All yeah. right. And then my winter release is going to be The Witch in November. Okay. Is that, about, is that about the Edmund Fitzgerald? No, it's the sequel to The God Provides. Oh, okay. That's and for my audience members who didn't get, there's a line in the the song. Oh, yeah, it's, it's taken that, directly from that song. <laughs> which that 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 was my, you know when I was twelve that was my jam. 
That's that song is my jam anyway. Yeah. I love it. So, it, like I said, we are very grateful with how prolific you are. Um, anything else you'd like to maybe uh, um, share with us, or maybe give uh, listeners uh, how they can find your podcast? No, my podcast. Uh, we're part of uh, the Author Library Networks um, under Project Entertainment Network. And uh, you can find us anywhere you get your podcast. We're just the Necrocasticon. Um, it's like Necronomicon, but cast as in podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and, uh, and, uh, and we'll have links, legal notice. If we don't have links, it's all DB's fault. <laughs> You've got links. I've given them to you before. <laughs> and um, yeah, and of course, uh, House of Stitch magazine. I write for them. I, I do a Cosmic Horror uh, column in that magazine. Excellent. And uh, I also do some feature work as well. I'm going to be uh, doing a thing with John Kelly Pavehouse. He's an artist that uh, mm. uh, Mike Duke, uh, for example, has taken advantage of uh, his artwork and uh, in the past. So I'm going to. Uh, I've ta- I gotten a chance to talk to him about his art, and um, what we're going to do this with this is going to be kind of unique. Some of the staff at House of Stitched is going to do flash fiction pieces inspired by Mr. Pima House's art as part of the article. So we're going to give life to these paintings. And uh, you know what? I love that this idea of taking a visual. A piece of art and making it into a verbal piece of art. Mm-hmm. I love that. But one of the things that House of Stitch or Stitch Smile Publications used to do a lot was their Stitch Saturday promotion. Mm-hmm. And, and that was where they, uh, Lisa Vasquez would give everybody a uh, writing prompt based off of a picture that she found uh, on the internet. Yeah. And it was horror or sort or fantasy or science fiction related usually. And uh, I thought, hey, you know what? What's how about expand on that? How about take that to another level that it can be done with the magazine? And most of the staff is, you know, professional, you know, fiction writers to begin with. So yeah, it'll be like, wow, <laughs> here's an opportunity to 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 see some flash pieces from people like Candace Nola or Mike Duke or myself or, or Lisa Vasquez, any of the staff, Chris McCauley, you know. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing this, and, and I'm I'm excited about both of your stuff coming out. But I'm really am looking forward to the that dark horror cyberpunk, and just hope to have you on the show again. Maybe have you in the fall, and uh, you and I can sort of uh, share theories about cyberpunk. Absolutely, we can do that. Sounds like a plan. A great show. Thanks so much. You're welcome, brother. Thank you. Well, the goal is um, to have this out actually Friday night. Okay, cool. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, 
Victoria Price and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests, and thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know... Uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Welcome back. Hey, um, so that was me, and I was interviewing Tommy Clark, and you're back listening to me. So, uh, let's go ahead. We're going to talk about Lovecraft, because contractually, I have to, because this is, you know, the people's guide to the Cthulhu mythos, but we're just not going to talk about H.P. Lovecraft. No, we're going to talk about Lovecraft in space. Um, yes, that's what we're going to be talking about. So, when I was a child, a child of 14 or so, um, there wasn't the internet. I didn't have a lot of friends that were into cosmic horror barely understood the difference between gothic horror and cosmic horror myself, uh, but I did come across a tabletop book. It must have been, you know, the bargain books of uh, my local bookstore, and it was about science fiction. And there was a page, the history of science fiction, and there was a page that covered Lovecraft. And in this book, it said that Lovecraft only wrote one science fiction book, or a science fiction story in that case, and that was The Color Out of Space. I will absolutely argue that there are science fiction elements very much in that story, especially in that story, and that is Lovecraft's view on what alien evolution would be like because... It's alien. It's so different than than terrestrial evolution. But I don't think it's the only story that Lovecraft said in science fiction or, or was influenced by science fiction. He was not a fan of the pulp science fiction that we think back of, you know, the nuts and bolts, uh, rocket rangers uh, type, type uh, of fiction. He just wasn't 
a fan of that type of science fiction, but he was a big fan of science. And we see science in a lot of his stories, especially Mountains of Madness. Now, a lot of Lovecraft's science was wrong, but that's because a lot of the science in the 1920s was later proven wrong. We don't have to go much farther than than, uh, Wagner's drift theory. I mean, it was obvious to him that the the continents were all together at once. I mean, they fit in like these perfect little jigsaw puzzle pieces, but he came up with, you know, you know, uh, drift because plate tectonics was just way beyond anything that anyone at the time could have imagined. But we do see some science influence, especially in in Mountains of Madness. But even in one of you know my sort of favorites, almost forgotten story, the evil clergyman, the unnamed protagonist, is going in there to basically get rid of the spirit of the evil clergyman who is more like a a psychic echo using ultraviolet light. Uh, it fails, but it, it's almost... It reminded me of kind of like the Ghostbusters, you know, without the comedy, of course. And I think, if anything, should or be classified science fiction by Lovecraft uh, would be a revision of his. Uh, it's In the Walls of Ergix. And this was uh, co-written by uh, Lovecraft's with uh, Kenneth Sterling. Um, probably more a revision, probably more of an editing. Uh, was written in 1936, published the year after Lovecraft died. Um, and it is a true traditional 1920s pulp science fiction. I think it takes place on Venus, where this astronaut's basically trapped in a, or space explorers, maybe a better word, is trapped in a glass maze and he's taunted by the aliens as he uh, basically dies in this maze. But we see a a lot of science fiction in Lovecraft's stories, uh, especially uh, the Migo. I mean, this is an alien race um, that is truly alien. Not only can it survive in the vacuum of space, uh, and fly on on the ether, which again was a theory that was losing uh, people believing in it uh, in the the twenties. But uh, it it truly is a science fiction race, which uh, leads to one of the most I think Lovecraftian influenced science fiction movies ever is going to be the original Alien. Uh, I remember as a child very well that it was marketed more as a horror movie than a science fiction movie. And that not only was that, but even uh, Stephen King has come out and said, you know, this is a, a science fiction, or this is a horror movie in a science fiction setting. You know, it ends with a monster being killed by the female protagonist uh, with a spear gun in her underwear. I mean, you can't get much more horror than that. Uh, and, I, you know, the xenomorph, the xenomorph is a lot like, I think, this shark in Jaws. Uh, and then it's... Uh, 
intelligent, but it, it follows its pattern to survive. It follows its evolution. Something I think Lovecraft definitely would have respected. But in its own way, it's almost kind of magical. It follows a type of science that not only we don't understand, the crew of the Nostromo don't understand. That, you know, how does after, you know, uh, killing, you know, between popping out of Kane's chest and killing Brett, did it change from this small chest uh, burster into a full-fledged xenomorph without eating at least that amount of food. Maybe it did, and we just didn't see it off-scene, but we're never shown where that food supply is. I mean, to us, that's magic, even though it follows these very natural alien laws of science. Of course, one of the connections between Lovecraft and uh, the movie Alien is H.R. Uh, Giger, who, of course, designed the alien and gave us that very unique alien look, the, the look on the, the horseshoe-shaped uh, spaceships, but also um, did an art book called The Necronomicon. So he was greatly influenced by Lovecraft and brought that influence into the set. Uh, yet another movie that I think is very uh, influenced by Lovecraft, although I don't have any written documentation to verify that, is going to be uh, Event Horizon, especially where, you know, uh, the astronauts and the crew's, you know, dreams become reality, their fears become reality. We also see, you know, this concept of a another dimension, which I think is brilliantly hinted or hinted at in uh, Dreams of the Witch House. Of course, there is this sort of connection with, uh, you know, the Christian hell, but I think that Lovecraft might have appreciated this gothic-looking spaceship. Uh, and, of course, we have uh, Sam Neill, who not only is in this movie, but he is also in In the Mouth's, Mouth of Madness, which is a very, very Lovecraft-inspired uh, movie. One of the most um, pulp-influenced science fiction movies, and is actually, I think, one of the best science fiction movies ever made. Uh, and I said that when we had a... Uh, uh, I was a guest of uh, Monster Kid Radio about two or three years ago, before COVID, uh, at um, a con, and I was on their panel, and it was our three favorite classic science fiction movies. And my number one was Forbidden Planet, which is definitely, of course, they didn't hide it, is an homage and influenced by Shakespeare's The Tempest, but it definitely has a horror side. And especially the the creatures of the id, and it has for the time this amazing uh, special effects when the creatures uh, take almost a demonic wolf form and try to get through the ship's shield, and you have this very Lovecraftian concept that the race is gone, the aliens are gone, but their science is left as sort of ghosts and their technology still haunts the planet. I think that's extremely Lovecraftian.
Another one is a rare sort of Toho movie. I mean, it's rare. Uh, I haven't actually run across it uh, until uh, just a few weeks ago, and that is uh, Dogra, which uh, it's got a huge subplot about diamond thieves and stuff that are, you won't, don't wouldn't really s- suspect in seeing by the people brought you Godzilla, and it takes away from the alien. But when the alien comes down, it's this sort of tentacled squid that they filmed in water and through lenses. So even though he doesn't get a lot of screen time, it it's, uh, really is a Lovecraftian horror. And what is... It's a Toho movie. It may not be the Toho movies of Mothra or Rodan... Uh, may focus more on a, an American diamond thief, or is he a spy? But and you know the American gets more time, screen time than the monster. But when the monster is there, the way it moves is so alien. It, it, it fits just perfectly in a a Lovecraftian setting. So uh, that's a little bit. You know, just talking about. Lovecraft in space. And I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, DB, we all wish you the best and hope that you feel better soon. And uh, hopefully we'll have him soon. But if not, um, then I, you and I will talk. And, of course, um, by all means, uh, just uh, keep an eye out for uh, Tommy Clark's new book and it's new story coming out in September and uh, well, I'm going to go back to taking care of goats and getting ready for the big celebration for na 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 Bat Squatch Bye Do you like the TV series Tales from the Crypt? Are you interested in full episode and movie reviews from Tales from the Crypt? This podcast is for you. The Good Evening Kitties podcast, where I, Melissa, your ghostess with the mostest, recap every episode with special guests and bonus horror movie reviews. The Good Evening Kitties podcast can be found on most podcast platforms. Check it out today. And David is recording. <laughs> David is recording the call, it says. Yes. As is the NSA. Yep, of course. And they know all our dirty little secrets. And they know that we're patriots. Yeah. <laughs> and they know who to call when, yeah. when, when insurrectionists come to town. <laughs> Us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I really do live in rural Oregon, 
So yeah, but you're 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 deep in the middle of that fucking muck. Let me yeah. tell you. Yeah, <laughs> and so our our our, our um, uh, citizen watch really is a bunch of mall cops with M16s and samurai swords. Oh wow! <laughs> right, that's just how I describe them. That's funny. One of them is good. I'm, pr- one of I'm pretty sure has got a cannon. I've heard it. I'm not quite sure they're not pipe bombs they're sending off, but I think they built a cannon. Uh, somebody could have an old Russian rifle too. They're fucking loud. Yeah, no, no. I had a, <laughs> yeah, no. I had a, one of my friends actually in California had a Nagant, and so yeah, I'm pretty familiar with those. I have an M44. Oh, okay. And when I bring it out to the range, <laughs> the range guy always comes over and says, "Who brought a cannon?" Because <laughs> <laughs> it shoots seven, five, six, fifty-four, yeah, R rounds. So they're they're fucking, you know, that big. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got to kick like a mule, so <laughs> it's Russian, so of course it's gonna kick like a mule. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kick like Russian mule. Drink vodka, eat caviar all day. Kick. <laughs> if your shoulder's not kick more. <laughs> yeah, if your shoulder's not broken, you didn't fight in the great patriotic patriotic war. Oh, gosh. So congratulations. So, and is, is this your like first full length book or this is my first full length novel? Yeah, summer. Okay, home. Congratulations. Now I have a, another question for you. Are you also, I thought, were you releasing a cyberpunk story or? I've got one coming out soon. Um, okay. I've got the art, the interior art being done on it. Okay. Um, because it's an homage basically to Epic Illustrated and Heavy Metal and Manga. Okay. Um, okay. I have a kid that does, uh, that likes to draw those kind of mechy robots. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, but his style is is. As, as, as Japanese as it is, it's also very American. Sure. So I'm having him do the pencils, and I'm having his mother do the inks. Hmm, okay. Yeah, cool. She's um, a really good inker. Okay. Uh, feel free to bring that up if you want. Or oh, yeah, well, 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 yeah, you bring it up when we're talking. Okay. And um, I'll say the same thing I just said. The only thing that really sort of comes close in my heart to cosmic horror is cyberpunk. Oh, dude, we'll, we'll talk about that book. Sure. We'll talk about it. And, and like I said, uh, I think it was 1991. I wrote an, my, my senior paper for UCLA was, and we can even bring up this, but was that the cyberpunks were going to be the new hippies based on literature or culture like the hippies use, you know. Um, they didn't end uh, up being that, man. <laughs> no, what I didn't get was it, computers were going to get, what I didn't get at the time was computers are going to go mainstream. I didn't under, yeah. I didn't get that at the time. A lot of people didn't. If you look at the old cyberpunk stories and the old cyberpunk book, and the games, even mm-hmm. um, people, the you know the hackers, the, the net people, they were a fringe group uh, for it, the most part. You know, you had to seek these people out, these wizards. Well, it, it, even Bruce, well, we goofed off, but they, they, yeah, even Bruce Sterling's document book about the hacking culture at that time had them as like that, this sort of this offbeat people. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, so thank you very much. You're welcome. And, um, okay. Uh, you got any questions for me or? Nope. I know the drill. Okay. Yeah. You, not your first rodeo. No, not my first goat rodeo. <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, and uh, interview, uh, rather me call you Tom, right? Tom, yep. Tom, okay. Tommy, whatever. Later, later. Okay, uh, then we'll go ahead and uh, start. <laughs>